I feel so happy and honored to be the first Korean person to fly in space. But another portion of my brain feel a little bit tough mentally because a lot of people is watching me with really suspicious eyes and then waiting for the time I made a mistake to put it out and then kind of a vibe I can feel. So it was really interesting moment. Welcome to the Big Interviews Astronauts mini-series, in which we sit down with pioneering astronauts who've left their mark on space exploration history. This series of The Big Interview is produced ahead of the AIM Higher Gala, which will take place on the 3rd of May at the Science Museum in London to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 16 and the future of international space travel. Dr Suyeon Yi is South Korea's first and only astronaut. She was selected to join a mission to the International Space Station in December 2006, out of 36,000 contestants vying for the position. She's an engineer and a biotechnologist and was the third woman to be the first national from their country in space. For 11 days, she circled the planet at 17,100 miles per hour as the sun rose and set 16 times every 24 hours. She now lectures at the University of Washington and local community colleges. She's passionate about nurturing the next generation of leaders in science, technology, engineering and mathematics. I'm Georgina Godwin, and I spoke to Dr. Sion Yi on The Big Interview. Dr. Sion Yi, welcome to The Big Interview. I wonder if we could start talking about your upbringing. Were you always interested in space? Frankly speaking, not at all, because I grew up in Korea. It's a little bit rural area. And at the time, it's not even easy to watch SF movie. And then not every house have even TV at all. I still remember uh, we had a black and white TV a long time ago when I was a child. So it's not that any media or things that encourage or inspire me to think about a space. That was the reality of the 34 years ago in Korea because we are more focused on the how our life more sustainable rather than thinking about the exploring to the space. So I couldn't have any chance to thinking about space or universe or being in space, being an astronaut. Even I doesn't know about the vocabulary astronaut, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and so what influenced your study choices? Because you went into engineering. Why was that? Yeah, that's very uh, interesting path. All the age, as I believe my father is nature born engineer, but he was working in a bank as a banker only because during that time, 1980 and 1970 in Korea to feed his family because he was the eldest in his family uh, among the uh, siblings and his father has uh, some problem and a mother was a serious ill. So he, he was the person who take care of the whole family. But as I observed my father's daily life, he was really like an engineer. So he fixed his own car by his hand, uh, with his own hands. And then even we fix our own boiler of whole our house systems. And then he always fixed my bicycles and then toys and everything. So when I grow up, I think like maybe every single father is capable to fix everything. But once I grow up a little bit, I realized that only I, my father can do that. My other friends, they hire technicians or plumbers and people to help that. 
their father cannot do that at all. So it is a very interesting observation. And then whenever he did this, once I like a 10 years old, a little bit more than that, I start being his first assistant. And then I always help him to fix. And I always ask questions, why you did this? And then what's the problem? And then what, what happened over there? So I learned a lot of the mechanical systems and some kind of system in every single appliance and cars and bicycle. And so, of course, when I choose my mechanical engineering kind of sector and a department, I couldn't think about that influence. But as I'm looking back, my childhood life, that kind of moment influenced a lot guide me to the engineering schools and engineering sector. <laughs> and so it was while you were studying that you decided to apply to go to space. Tell us what this program was that you were applying to. Ah, those kind of program is initiated by the government. So Ministry of Science, they decided that we really need at least one Korean astronaut, even if we didn't have an astronaut program in Korea yet. And we have early stage of the space agency at the time. And accidentally, I read the really brief, uh, short uh, newspaper articles about Korean government considering to make an astronaut in several years and kind of like that. I thought like it's very interesting. So there's a two different opinions in Korean public. Some Korean people think and we still have a poor people. We still have a lot of social problem. I don't think we have a money to make an astronaut and make the astronaut to fly in space. And some of the people think and then now Korea is well developed and then we have a lot of technology capability. So we should make astronaut as soon as possible and kind of like that. So totally by uh, uh, variety and diverse uh, opinions out there. But I'm more like a pro to the developing science and technology. So I feel like it's really cool. And I just have a small chatting with my friends. Oh my God, Korea decided to make an astronaut in the future. And what kind of people who will be an astronaut? I've never heard about astronaut before, but it seems really interesting. And then we just chat, chat, chat. And then one of my friends said, why don't you apply? So tell us about the training process. And one thing I'm really quite interested in is if you felt that you were held back at all by your gender, was is there much misogyny? Was there much sexism towards you as a woman in this really what up until that point had been a very masculine world? Yeah, right. Because uh, actually around the 2000 and then only 2000 european and american cultures are more like inclusive and more like a diverse respected but as i remember early 2000 in russia especially i was in the middle of the air force base because russian cosmonaut training center was the really really center of the big huge one of the biggest air force base and of course, it's very masculine and then very kind of not fair for the old gender at all because it's very men's world. And not only as a female, but also as an Asian, it's a double dip of the minority in Russian society because still in Russia is have a lot of kind of discrimination problem between the white Caucasian, North European and then Asian peoples from the Central Asia is a huge uh, kind of conflict between them. So it, it is a really interesting experience in whole town. I'm kind of like only Asian woman <laughs> in whole city. 
and everybody look at me like oh what kind of people is here and then every single people at the very first a month or two total strange people who just met me in the very first time just in the street and then they don't even have to talk to me and then i've never walked before but they always look back and then watching me again partially i feel so happy and honored to be the first korean person to fly in space but another portion of my brain uh, feel a little bit tough mentally because a lot of people is watching me with really suspicious eyes and then waiting for the time i made a mistake to put it out and then kind of a vibe i can feel so it, it was really interesting moments and also when I started the training, of course, very male dominant. And then some of the instructors and some of the steps are female, but they are more like a nurse or doctors are more like a service worker. And then most of the technology related or space flight related or Air Force related people is uh, yeah, more than 90% of the guy. And then especially cosmonaut candidates who had a training with us and then 20, 30 people and then two different class and then we are working together during our training and then there is only one female cosmonaut among the 20 30 people who had a training many of the other male cosmonaut candidates they apply in the middle of their pilot service and then in the middle of their engineer's career in Roscosmos but yeah, many, not many, it's a whole 100% of the male candidate. And what was the actual launch like? What was that blast off from Earth? How did it feel? So, first of all, you feel huge shaking because engine is burning uh, below you. And it, it is really hectic moment. But also in same time, every single crew members are crazy busy inside because Mission Control keep asking us... Uh, check that this number, check that this factor, everything's okay, everything's kind of like that. And then we have a double, triple backup checking up and then trial and then kind of thing. So some part of my brain is so exciting and then can feel the vibe and then vibration and then pushing the G-force to put up to the sky. But some part of my brain is so busy to check everything's okay, everything's normal. So it, it was really interesting moment. But and then on top of that, Right before launch, one of uh, my commander's uh, spacesuit has some little problem. And it was a really kind of awkward moment because before sitting inside of the Soyuz capsule, we checked our spacesuit double and triple time to be sure spacesuit is safe and okay. But after sitting on the rocket and then we checked the first time, it went well, really good. And second time, it happened the problems oh my god we did it several times and more than 10 times checking up it was totally okay but suddenly we we didn't do anything he didn't do anything on the spacesuit but it has several part of the history is a failure so we were so scared because that can stop our launch in the middle um even if we are sitting inside of the capsule so we should have checked that spacesuit and, and all other factors and then talking with the mission control and the mission control also should have a really serious discussion with the leadership people. Should we make these guys go up with this small little problem or should we stop and check the old suit again? And then it, it was a really interesting moment I had. <laughs> and once you were finally off the ground, what was your first impression of the view of Earth? 
frankly speaking, in Russian uh, space flight, uh, until certain time, you cannot see through the window at all because uh, space shuttle launch, the shuttle is uh, attached to the side of the rocket, so they can see through the window. But so it's a capsule. We are on top of the rocket and covered with the nose cone, like a satellite. So we couldn't see through the window until the nose cones are deployed. So <laughs> we have one less distraction during the launch, actually. But once the nose cone open, and we know we can see through the window, but I remember that my doctor told me, Suyan, don't look through the window as much as possible. And the reason why he told me, like, once you look through the window, your motion sickness starts right away. But you know what? That is a once in a lifetime chance to look through the window on the rocket, right? So <laughs> I can't help it. Just look through the window. And then right after that, I start motion sickness. And then I throw up. And then thank God I have uh, several plastic bag in my pocket but yeah but still I think it's worth it to do it <laughs> because what did it look like you can see black sky because we were launched almost afternoon and also you can see the curved horizon of the earth and totally alive and moving cloud and that's really beautiful you know what those view you can see everybody can see through the youtube or some kind of movie and it's exactly same but it is different because whatever animal whatever view whatever place is totally different if you look through the tv monitors or movie theater or you just see it exactly something alive and with your own bare eyes it is totally different mm. so then you get to the international space station and i just wonder what what ordinary life is like there i mean so for instance we know that the sun rises and sets 16 times every day how on earth do you regulate that and have any kind of so-called normal existence oh yeah so that's a really good question because we human living on the earth as uh, 24 hours a day life, more than several thousand years. And uh, we just adapted perfectly. So we cannot live like uh, 16 times sunrise and sunset. And then you cannot live like a 90 minutes a day like thing. But thank God in space station, you don't have a big, huge window. So those sunset and sunrise will not disturb your normal life. And because all the humankind from the Earth, we are in a space station, so we regulate our day with the internal lighting system. So whenever we wake up, we turn on the old light inside of the space station, and then we just make our own money. And then at night, everybody is uh, go to the sleep and then getting into the uh, sleeping bag or cabin, and the last person turn off the most of the light and then make the night mood. So we had our own control. And then sometimes we have a little bit shorter day or a little bit longer day, but pretty much we try to live like a 24 hours a day life. But when you have an experiment near the window and window shutter is open, then at the very first time when you started your ex experiment, you didn't need extra light. So you just started. But after 30, 40 minutes, you realize that your surroundings became darker and darker and darker. And then you realize, oh my God, it's a sunset. And <laughs> you just rush it to find the extra lighting system and then bring the kind of flashlight or something and then turn on. 
and then you can remind that oh I'm in space so that's that's a very interesting feeling yeah mm-hmm. now just living there sort of day to day I wonder how normal life carried on how did you eat for instance and if food goes in obviously it has to come out somewhere how did the sanitary arrangements work yeah, that's really a good question. And in every single kid, whenever I have a talk and they are so interested in how you eat and how you poop and how you go to the restroom. <laughs> you know what? It's not a funny thing because that's the basic life support of the humankind. So I think it's totally normal. Everybody interested in about that and curious about that. And then eating is a little bit uncomfortable because there's no gravity. So you cannot have a full course meal <laughs> because you should help in your own hands to eat something unless everything's are flowing around. So you finish one food as much as possible and then throw the package away and then open the another one because if you leave open and then uh, put on the table, it will flow away and then it will make uh, particles out there. So as a Korean person, and then our daily meal is we have a rice and soup and several side dishes and all together in the same time, we just pick it whatever we want, but we cannot have it like that in space because every single food should be secured and packaged when you don't eat. So that's a really interesting experience. And also, luckily, I have a lot of European astronauts leftover food, even if we don't have any European astronauts. Because when you go to the picnic or when you go to the camping, you always have kind of more than enough food you go, right? And go to the bathroom, of course. Whenever you eat, and then your stomach and bowel digested it and then always give you a signal to go to the restroom. But there's no gravity. So digestion speed also a little bit slower because food cannot go down with the gravity only with the Uh, stomach and intestine uh, movement push the food down so it takes uh, more energy and then more time to process inside of your body but anyway if you go to the restroom of course all your waste will not go down because there's no gravity so we need a pump to suck all the waste inside of the tank so it's also a little bit awkward and strange even if you had a training on the earth And then on the earth training, you just learn more like theoretically, but in space, you should do it practically. So it's very interesting, but also it's a human. Human is an incredibly adaptable animal anywhere. So we adapt it. And then at some point, we feel natural to use those space (laughs) restrooms. Extraordinary. I wonder, um, you know, you were, you were saying that there's an American there, obviously they're Russians, and you're also communicating with mission control. Was there a language barrier? What language were you actually communicating in? So officially, I was the Russian crew member. So really big, huge part of my training was the Russian language. Uh, before going to the Russian Cosmo Training Center, I even didn't have a Russian alphabet at all. So I studied from the all the way from the baby step to the until the professional level of the language skill. So that is a big, huge chunk of the training. And official language for me is Russian because most of the time I should talk with the Russian mission control and my crews are all Russian. But International Space Station has a two official languages, so English and Russian. So most of the time when I talk with the American astronaut and then just uh, hang out with them and uh, speak English also. Tell us now about your return to Earth in Kazakhstan and the injuries that you sustained. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, I didn't have an injury cause of the landing. It's very normal physiological and then physical change. But only because I had a ballistic re-entry and we landed on the 500 kilometer away from the designated area, we landed successfully. And then our shock observers and then uh, all the backside ejection of the rocket was working good. So I didn't have any huge impact as much as other old Russian astronauts had, but it's more than the impact than other normal flight. But anyway, so it doesn't make injured. And then the reason why I had a serious back pain is, so it, it is really interesting, every single humankind, and then we had a little bit taller than we supposed to have because our body is pushed by the gravity from the head to toe. So our spines and ligament between the spine is squeezed and pressed. So actually our original height is a little bit taller, but we always live with the two, three inches shorter height. But in space, there's no gravity. So every single ligament between the spines uh, swallow a little bit because there's no force to push it. So you became taller. And especially younger astronauts, they became taller more than other older astronauts. But when I had space flight, I was 29 years old, relatively 10, 20 years younger than other uh, American Russian astronaut. So I grow up almost an inch and then mm-hmm. around more than a two centimeter, I became taller in space. So as, as soon as I arrived in space, I have a serious back pain because all my muscle and nerves should be stretched to make a two centimeter taller my body. It takes a two, three days until the pain goes away. And right after landing on the ground, all my bodies are squeezed back. So those whole 2.5 centimeters going away and then you became shorter and then your nerves and muscles squeezed and then that makes a serious back pain. Tell me what happened after that landing. What did you then do with your life? Because you stayed with the Korean Space Agency up until 2014. My space flight was for the kind of three years short term science project under the Korean uh, Ministry of Science. So right after landing and then after several months and a project was over. So from that time, we don't have any Korean astronaut program or astronaut things in the space agency, but they really want to use the space flight kind of excitement and then kids and general public interested in a space program more than before. And space agencies still have a rocket program and satellite program as they had before. So I became more like an ambassador of the Korean space program and also science and technology program, not only to the Korean general public, but also globally. So I served for several years in a space agency as a spokesperson and ambassador. And also because my background is engineering, I already had a PhD. So I did some space experiment project inside of the Korean Space Agency as a senior researcher. Mm. So why did you leave? Because as I feel, uh, they don't have any astronaut program. And then my academic background is not related with the rocket or satellite. So even if they don't fire me, I realized that there's not that many things I can contribute and work inside of the space agency because I did biotechnology and mechanical engineering, but my mechanical engineering is not like a rocket scientist engineering. It's more like a micro machine engineering. So 
I should think about my career path seriously because at the time I was, you know, only 30 or something, but I don't think I can spend my whole 20, 30 years of my life inside of the space agency just as the ambassador or spokesperson mm. because that's not the job I'm thinking of when I studied in engineering school. So oh, what should I do? And then, and also for three, four years and four, five years of serving in a space agency, I couldn't have any extra time to think about my life because every single 24-7 is the life of an astronaut, not like a life of a Suyan. So I decided to get out of the program for a while to think of my life. And studying in an MBA program in U.S. is kind of like an excuse to make my own time out of the out of the Korean society because if I study in Korea, I cannot help to kind of meeting and pass by a lot of Korean general public and then they want me to do something and then they always ask me about my life and things but I really want to have a calm and silent time to focus on my own life. And so what is it that you do now? After finishing my MBA program in U.S. yeah that's because life is interesting. <laughs> I promised my mom because when I decided to get out of the Korea and then to study in U.S., my mom doesn't like it because it's very traditional Korean mom. And then she said, you are older than 30 and it's time to marry and then having a kid. And then, when do you want to do? And then the kind of question she keep asking. And I said, mom, I really need a sabbatical break. So I will go to the U.S. and then spend two years to study and then maybe one or two years working in a kind of entrepreneurial culture in Bay Area in U.S., and then maybe I will come back and then as you wish, I will marry and then having a, your own grandkids in the future, I promise. And then I came. But in the middle of the studying, I met my husband. <laughs> and he's American and Korean American. And we date each other. And he proposed me. And I feel like he's the right guy to marry. And then we married. And then his job is not that kind of movable because uh, of his profession. And my kind of job is engineers. We can walk anywhere, anywhere in the world. So I decided to settle down in U.S. So I'm living in U.S., but after studying and then to take uh, advantage of my engineering background and also business background, and then I'm working with uh, several startups since then. So yeah, a lot kinds of different things as an astronaut. Finally, how would you advise youngsters to break into the space industry? I mean, is your legacy to try and push people to, to study, particularly girls, science, technology, engineering, mechanicals, the STEM subjects? I think most important thing is please avoid the bias and presumption and preperception kind of thing because sometimes many of the girls only because there is a few female in certain industry, they just give up even before trying. But even if not that many women in that industry, it doesn't mean you cannot do it. And then there's always a way to go around, a way to penetrate, a way to go through, I believe. So don't think too much. If something looks attractive and you really want to ha- uh, try it, just go and try it and then feel it. And then let it go. And then you will be more capable and then you can be the person who can solve those kind of problems. So that's my number one advice. And the second advice is don't worry too much ahead. And then do your best where you are right now and then make things better. 
and then just step by step and then please feel happy with a small achievement and then those small achievement combined all together make a big huge achievements and then of course reality there's a few female in the space industry and then there's a few more a few female in the science and technology but it's exciting if you add one more female if you go in there and then you can have one more female and then one more or more and then at some point we can have half and half or sometimes we can have more females than the male so don't be overwhelmed please dr sion yi thank you very much for joining me on the big interview on monocle 24 That's it for this edition of The Big Interview. The Big Interview is produced by Emma Searle, edited by Steph Chungu, and researched by Samson Mbogu. From me, Georgina Godwin, thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>